Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It is Wheeler Dealer Radio. We're, we're recording the night of a victory. We waited till midweek and we got a victory instead of an incredibly depressing defeat to talk about. So things are looking up. Before we get started, uh, please follow us on our new Twitter account. Well, it's not new anymore, but follow us on our Twitter account at WDR Podcast on, on Twitter. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. Also... Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify because we're extremely good boys who deserve it. Now we are here to talk about Tottenham Hotspur. Joining me today to talk about Tottenham's 2-0 win against Brighton and 3-2 loss against Manchester United. We have from the wilds of Atlanta joining us because he's back this week because he's tanned and rested and actually watched the game. It's Ben Daniels. Ben, how are you doing? Uh, That's quite an introduction, Craig. Uh, (laughs) I'm doing good. It's nice to be back in the saddle. Thanks. Thanks. I asked Brian this last week, which you surely know because you listened to it, uh, but who would you want to buy Chelsea now that Chelsea's up for sale, Ben? Uh, I would want Daniel Levy to buy Chelsea and get the hell out of our club. (laughs) Finally, we're trying to broaden the audience of our podcast. (laughs) Next up, because uh, Brian Ashlock uh, got the bad stomach virus this week and can't join us, we have... Subbing in for him, it is Ryan Rosenblatt. Ryan, thanks for joining us from uh, the wilds of the Midwest. How are you doing this week? I'm doing lovely because we won a game. We won a game. Isn't it great? Well, you can count on it. It's predictable, if nothing else. You know when we're going to win one, which is right after we lose one. (laughs) Uh, It's the most reliable Spurs I've ever been in my life. I don't know. I thought this was a, a kind of a dicey one because we had Conte's only good with a week's rest narrative bumping up against the Spurs win every other game narrative. And I didn't know who was going to win out. Which of the these pro- two curses? It, well, one of them is narrative and the other one's stats. You got to go with the analytics. Didn't the, wow, uh, I never thought I'd hear you say that, Ryan. <laughs> didn't the undrawables uh, run into, wasn't there some other like incredibly powerful narrative they ran into? When they were when they were doing that, or am I am I completely misremembering the undrawables? Ben's favorite period in the club's history. Under under the it was under great. it was a wild ride under the under Jose Mourinho. I mean, Conte is really bringing back the undrawables. Say one thing about our current form: we are not drawing games, and <laughs> that I respect. So, let's talk about let's start with Brighton um, because that's a little more fun to talk about. Uh, we won two nil. I would say it was a fairly comfortable game, but I think it was fairly, I think it really represented a lot of what has gone on with Spurs for the last month and a half or so, because I think we played well. I think it got a little dicey at times, but frankly, I don't think we were out of control of the game. I know the XG map has Brighton way closer than I would have put them just watching the game, but, you know, I mean, this could have been four or five nil. I mean, Brighton had maybe one really good chance and we scuffed quite a few of them. I mean, is this level of playmaking you happy, Ben? Because 
I feel like there's some dissatisfaction amongst parts of the Spurs fan base. And yet, I, I think, think this was a largely comfortable no. match. Yeah, I guess I'd describe this as a professional performance. You know, we got in there, we got the job done. We had a decent number of good chances, but like it wasn't fun. It was just, I mean, the first I half the of second half was pretty like, fun. Until the goal felt like a, yeah, the first half was a slog. And then, you know, we scored late and then the second half got a little better. But, you know, it's just like, I, I don't know. Either, either we play well and don't win or play well and win boringly or just play badly. Like besides Everton, you know, we haven't had a lot of those like real fun swashbuckling, just beat the shit out of somebody performances lately. It feels like, and it's just, you want more of those. You wouldn't consider this. Brian, one of those you, like you, you wouldn't consider this one of those performances. Like take it as a whole. I don't know. I mean, goals talk. If if we had scored some of those, you know, one-on-ones instead of getting stuffed or whiffing it or, you know, Kane somehow blowing an open net, like maybe it would have like changed the mood and felt like we were really clobbering them. But as it was, it felt like we kind of made a harder work out of it than we should have. I don't know. I Yeah. I, I, I'm just in a blah kind of place, I guess. Ben's just crying out for midfielders is really what this is about. No, Ben's crying out for the dynamic attacking game of Jose Mourinho. That's what that's what we're seeing here. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I mean, I do. I miss midfielders who can pass the ball and do fun things and do cool, creative, surprising, tricksy things instead of this just very functional. I don't know. I, patterns where we. I would disagree with you. Like, I think, I mean, I, I understand where you're coming from. Like, I, I, it's not like I don't see your point, but like, I think Bentoncourt is lots of fun. Like, I mean, certainly more fun than he was sold to us as. Like, I mean, he made some really nice pass. I mean, his pass for Harry was excellent. I mean, he's fun to watch. He's not like, you know, it's not like, I mean, he's not like slow Hoiberg, Hoiberg, which is kind of how he was sold to us, I think. I mean, I think, I think the big kind of issue we run into both in terms of necessarily being fun and also in some of these games of being good is Betancourt is good. He he's straight up good. I think Pierre is a really useful player. Um but the two of them are not good enough passers to be a particularly um overly effective or really fun midfield. That doesn't mean they're not useful. It doesn't mean they can't play a role, but like that alone is not enough. Which means that if you're playing with just the two of them and you're playing in Conte system, you need to get help from your wingbacks. That's literally the point of why they're out there. Our wingbacks aren't good. And so I, I think you have to go and get a really, really good midfielder to play with Betancourt. Um, and, and, you know, maybe someone like LaCelso would be useful. But if uh, absent that, you need to go get really good wingbacks because right now we have the issue of we are both if you look at just pure central midfielders, we're outnumbered in the middle of the field. And, and then if you want to include the wingbacks, you're including the two positions at which we are by far the weakest on the pitch to, to give you a numerical advantage. So I think that's the issue you're running into is you, and and you can't just add a third midfielder. I mean, when it, earlier on in Conte's time, we played with three midfielders a couple of times that went really well, but who of Kane's son and Kulisevsky are you going to drop with any regularity? You're just not. And that's fine. That, well, we were like, also think, playing that third midfielder. We were playing that third midfielder as a, essentially a sweeper, 
you know, in front of the back line and whatever else you want to say about sort of where we are now, like with Romero back and the back line of Romero with, with the center backs of Romero, Dyer and Davies, you don't really need like a midfielder hanging out in front of your back three to pass the ball. Right. Two, I, I mean, I I'm not even, yeah, I'm not even advocating for that. Cause like I said, our front three is really, really, really good. You're not dropping one of them. So you can add another midfielder. It's just when we have the ball, we have four players across the middle of the pitch. And the only way we're making the numbers work with wingbacks who aren't good. The wingbacks have to be much better or you have to go get an all world central midfielder. And I, I think we have three, although one of them is hurt and skip. I think we have three useful central midfielders who can do a job. No doubt. They're not all world, which means you need your wingbacks. Our wingbacks suck. And I think we're kind of just running into that wall repeatedly, whether that is for getting points or on a day like today, we got points, but it wasn't especially aesthetically pleasing. Do you think, think how much of a difference do you think Skip would make, Brian? I don't think he makes a, I I think he helps to a degree because I think one of the things that um, the team also struggles with in in a larger sense is it's not an especially fast team and there's some athleticism missing. And I think Skip adds to that. And so against some teams, like I think against United in particular, it showed having that extra athleticism on the pitch would pay off. But I don't think it solves the problem that Ben is running into here. Like he's not the all world passer either that is going to make it happen. Think about it. On the ball, we got four players there. Um, and at best, two of them are capable passers. Like, our wingbacks just aren't good enough. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, like, how we created chances today, we had Bencourt's through ball for, for Kane. That was really good. But most of the passing that were, like, breaking lines and, like, creating opportunities were from our Harry Kane. And our, you know, we rely a lot on our, our striker to do a lot of the, you know, exciting ball progressing that, you know, turns defense into attack very quickly. And like, it's working, you know, and it would be working a lot better if Sun was playing better, uh, frankly, but it's just a hard, it's a hard balance to strike. And like, everybody kind of has to be on to make it work. I think one feature of today's game that is definitely part of Conte's patterns and the way he likes to move the ball is getting those wide center backs to maraud through midfield and become that extra body, become another passer in midfield and contribute. And, you know, I, Davis has been good at that. And we've seen Romero, I think today was probably his best game for us. Um, just be a total maniac, you know, popping up everywhere. Um, and I think the more we can work on that and get those guys involved, like <laughs> that seems like, it's there to help mitigate some of those problems with like the way our midfield and wingbacks move the ball, but you just want I mean, more. I, I think, I think we saw both these last two games. I think Davies actually played really well in both of them. His passing in particular was really good. The problem is his passing kept going to Reggion, who was, um, I'm going to be really kind about this dog shit. Um, he, he's been so bad and all these promising attacks are just dying out there. And so it, it's a problem when your center back is passing expertly and the guy who's supposed to at least with the ball function as a midfielder is just letting everything die on his foot. And so I th- that kind of highlights where we just got to get better there. And, and I think we saw when Sess was healthy and playing, it, he has his limitations, obviously, but his reliability as a passer and, and to take up those spaces helped a lot. Um, and, and I think we're kind of seeing the, I, I think we saw a more useful midfield as a result when we had him out there. And, and he's hardly a guy where 
I, I like Seth, but I don't think any of us are sitting here saying that's our left wing back of the future. Throw him out there for the next seven years and we're good. Um, we still want better than that. And you can see the drop off even from him to Reggion right now. And that's without getting into the disaster that is the right wing back. So uh, I think solve those problems and a lot of things get fixed. Well, I think that's the interesting thing about this Spurs team. And I think that'll feed into what I think is some of the issues with us as fans in a minute. But I think Spurs have fixed a lot of big problems this year, actually. Like, I mean, I think they probably have more work to do on their back and their center backs next year in particular. But, like, that's a really good back three they've put together back there. With the, I mean, and I think Conte and all of them deserves a lot of credit because I think two of those back three, we wanted to, like, eject out of this club for years. You know, I mean, when's the last time any of us, before Conte got here, we, we were happy to see Davies or um, – or Dyer on the pitch. And I, I think we have a really good set of center backs. And you bring one sort of left-sided center back who can pass in next year. I feel really good about this unit as a whole, especially if you can swap Sanchez out for him. Um, and then at the same time, I think something that really goes unremarked upon, probably because he looks like a teenager who got you know dumped, dumped at prom, is, I mean, Kulishevsky has like solved a major problem for this team, which is the sort of the right side of our front three. I mean, we've been complaining about it for years. Like, Mora, I mean, Lucas is effective in spurts, but he doesn't integrate with them in the way that we see Kulishevsky do. I mean, Kulishevsky is the player we've been kind of crying out for for years. Between his ability to take shots and his ability to create for, you know, Kane and Son and, you know, even our fullbacks, it's, I mean, he does such a good job in that final third. And, I mean, those are, those are two huge problems that we've solved this year that, you know, I think are really big positives going forward when you consider that we, you know, I mean, we can get into what we think of our transfer policy and whatever, but like considering that we're jury rigging this shit mid season with Conte, I think it's really impressive. And I think something that's really colored the fan base's view of these games, because I, I think largely we're playing good to well in all of these matches. Like, I, well, no, I mean, <laughs> My point is, I don't. When's the last narrow band of acceptability? (laughs) My point is, my point is, we've had like since the Mura match, we've had like what two, three stinkers, like real stinkers under Conte, and generally we play pretty well. But I think something that colors the whole thing is, you know, Conte doing this hostage routine with the team every week or every every time you know he gets like a sandwich he doesn't like. Enough. He's just like talking about how he's going to leave at the end of the season. Now, maybe this is all just Conte trying to send messages to Levy, like you better fucking back me in the summer transfer window. Um, which you know is a little weird, considering that honestly, I mean, maybe it could have gone better. But I mean, the January transfer window is a roaring success. Like I can't remember the last time we had this good of a transfer window in January. I mean, Bentoncourt and I mean the Juve boys are an incredible addition to this club, who have both helped out a lot. And I just think there's, I, I have exhaustion over it, like, because it's just like, well, if it doesn't go well, Conte's just going to threaten to leave and do all this other shit. And he's doing this after largely good performances most of the time. It just, you know, we, it kind of doesn't go our way for one reason or another. And he, you know, he keeps talking about patience and all this other shit. And it's like, A, there's certainly issues, Ryan, I'm sure you'd love to talk about his set piece defending. Um, there's issues that Conte clearly has some like culpability in and B like he's talking about patience for everyone else. Like, dude, like if he wasn't talking about leaving every five minutes, we'd all be very excited about where this team is headed. 
because we have fixed major problems within like three or four months. We have seen, I think, Daniel Levy back Conte to a level which I can't remember him doing this for a manager. You know, in terms of like he ejected Delhi, he got rid of two of his big signings, he brought in like 70 million euros worth of signings in January. That's more than he did for Mourinho, which I think is saying something. And I just think there's this like, I mean, I don't know how the squad's dealing with it, but certainly I'm beaten down by it. And it's coloring my perception of the team because I just don't want to fucking listen to it if we have a bad game. So I'm kind of dreading the performance when I should be looking forward to it. Because we're playing pretty well most of games. That was a long rant. I think you explained that good to well. Thanks. I appreciate Um, that. (laughs) I think most of what you're saying is true. I think a couple other mitigating factors there are, one... It sucks to gen- generally be better than another team and only win half the time. Like, I, it, it's also the manner in which we're just like, can you fucking teach them how to defend set pieces, please? Like, it's like you're losing. In, we're losing games in small situations, not our inability to play football. And I think that's part of it. And the other part is um, fourth place is slipping away and it's going to Arsenal. That's, like, if fourth fair. place was slipping away and it was going to Leicester, we would have been like, Oh, Lester again, huh? But I, I feel like the mood would be very different if, if it were just really any other team. So I think that's also part of it. I, I think I think what you're saying is true, though, in terms of we had a really good January window. Um, I, I think the ability to get two really good players in in January, that's a good job done. But if you look at the team and the squad as a whole, and you were to go to, say, January 1st, and you're selling Delhi and you're loaning out slash selling Tongi and Lo Celso, you're probably saying that this squad needs at least seven signings. And so probably eight, if you think about it. So you're sitting there saying you got to probably make eight signings. That's a lot of work to do for a club that is in the position to make that many signings because the chairman has dropped the ball for four years. And when that chairman has proven for a long time, unwilling to spend what is necessary to back the squad to match the ambition that he claims the club has. So I think if you're Conte, that pressure stays on Levy until you deliver. And you did a good job in January. Like you did getting those two players in is a really good job, but he hasn't done his job until you get through the summer and you've made those eight signings. You made those wish, nine signings. Again, I'm, I'm fine with putting a level of pressure on Levy. And I, I know at first a bunch of Spurs fans who are more hostile leaving than we are, we're getting a real charge out of like telling hard truths in public. But it's just, I, I just find this so tiresome. Like in terms of like, I get it, man. You don't need to do it every week. Like, I mean, I know this is who Conte, on some level, I think there's a reasonable possibility that Conte's not actually going to leave this summer. He's just being Conte, who is like a crazy person who's trying to put pressure on his chairman. And that's, fine it's just like there's this narrative going there that he's gonna leave spurs at the first opportunity and it drives me insane because it makes the whole thing I much mean, more stressful for me but this is what happens when you when you hire antonio conte i mean yeah, like that fair this enough. Is just kind of what comes with it because he is crazy and like is conte gonna leave this summer it depends does levy deliver the players he wants if levy delivers the players he wants i think conte is happy and we're really 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 good next year if Conte does not get the players he wants because Levy doesn't bring them in, I think he leaves. And, like, that is – that's what happens when you hire Antonio Conte is he's going to make a ton of demands of you, and you have to be willing to deliver it at all costs. 
or he's going to leave you high and dry. Like, and if you don't want to deal with that, which listen, if Levy had sat there and said that it's just too combustible, there's not enough predictability, not enough stability, we're, we're not going to deal with that. I would have been fine with that. But you hired the guy, so you had to go deliver. And I don't want to hear that his demands were whatever. And this is what you get in the meantime. Like, this is what happens when you hire Antonio Conte. It's not a surprise. We've seen him do it for years. Levy signed up for this, which, again, as long as he delivers, I'm fine with. I don't say that as any criticism on Levy. If you're willing to hire Antonio Conte and deliver for Antonio Conte, you're doing a great job as chairman. If you hire him and you're not able to deliver, you suck as chairman. Like that, he's living in a very black and white world right now, and we'll see where he ends up. And you know what? I would be I would be way more nervous about this if if Antonio's buddy wasn't our director of football. Like, I mean, Paratici, whatever else you want to say about him, like knows Conte and works with Conte, and like like there should be a, a clear line of communication there and B like a clear, like he should understand how this works and what's going on. So again, if this is just all the Kabuki theater that comes with hiring Antonio Conte, that's fine. In the meantime, it's stressing me out and I think it's ruining everyone. I mean, I think that, Go ahead, Ben. I mean, I think the whole thing comes down to this sort of weird, you know, space that Spurs occupies in the footballing hierarchy where like we want to be a big club. We try to act like a, a big club sometimes with like hiring Mourinho and hiring Conte. The fan base is like emotionally crippled and like doesn't really believe we're a big club and we're like so afraid that like our new manager is gonna break up with us. And like so we can't handle what you know what this like token ambition looks like because it's not ambitious enough to actually deliver the goods. And so like, we're in this like weird anxiety mode all the time that like, we kind of know we don't like belong at like the, the head of the table. Like we're not really a top four team in our minds. Like we all deep down are like deeply, deeply anxious and have an imposter syndrome about this. And like seeing content kind of speak these truths, even if we all believe it is making us confront things about us that we don't really want to hear because we know it's entirely possible that Daniel Levy fucks it up this summer and he leaves and we're back at square one and it all goes to shit. And like, we kind of are like, we don't deserve Conte and Oh, see, of course, even, even a guy who's a serial winner, like Jose Mourinho got ruined by Tottenham and now we're doing it again. Like we just have all of these like fucked up emotions about like how we operate as a club. And until we actually put our money where our you know, alleged ambitions are and like take that step towards acting like a big club, we're going to live with this like cognitive dissonance that causes everybody a whole lot of misery. And it sucks. Fuck you on your serial renter, Jose Mourinho comment. I, 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 I reject everything else you said based on those four words. No, I like obviously fuck Jose, but I think there's a there was a big sentiment among Spurs fans I did, who I like, saw Jose as like, oh, this is a big, a big boy move. I, I don't Daniel think Levy I don't, certainly did. I don't think you're wrong. I just don't want to hear the, those four words. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> Fair. I, I think it's what bothers me about the Conte thing is like cause that's what bothers me when I hear Spurs fans talking about like hard truths, like. Fine, great, he's right, but, like, there's a level at which, like, I don't need him to say it in public. I certainly don't need him to say it in public, like, every other week. <laughs> you know, you know I mean, it's 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 the thing that kind of bothered me about Harry Kane. Like, a lot of what Harry Kane complained about being at Spurs about, it's not wrong. 
like Harry Kane wanting to be on a better team, not entirely unjustified, especially when Spurs like hired Nuno. But you know, like I, I a don't act like you're a total bystander here because you're not. Like you're part of the problem too. But b like shut up. You like you work here. Like I don't need to hear it all the time. Like like it's one thing if I say it or you say it or like. Matt Law says it, but, like, I don't need to hear it from you, Harry, or you, Tony. Like, you work here. Look, look, like, look at Greg abandoning the side of labor to side with management. <laughs> a, I agree. B, I'm really into Greg's lists that yeah. he's thinking that only have two items on them. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> I mean, C, shut up. I, 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 <laughs> I do think part of this, though, also comes back to that thing that like we've known is a long standing problem. Levy's known it's a long standing problem going back to literally when he became chairman is Tottenham have no actual infrastructure. Um, part of the, part of the fear here and part of what makes it so difficult is the fact that the team and the club and the future, everything about this is basically like Antonio Conte is going to save us and he's going to do it with his buddy from Juventus, who is now uh, the technical director, sporting director, whatever title we gave him. Um, but like what happens if they leave we're back at square one again which is similar to when he tried to hire a technical director three other times and then it fell apart and do you have it where are the scouts where's the analytics where's the actual philosophy as to how you run a football that infrastructure continues to be completely lacking where at this point we've hitched our wagon to Conte and we're like Conte and his buddy are gonna save us and if he goes away but it's like if and don't get me wrong you could look at a Man City like if Pep left, that would be a gigantic thing. But you wouldn't be like Man City screwed forever because you're like the guys who know how to target players and buy players are still there. They they have a philosophy. Liverpool is the same way if Klopp leaves. Like Chelsea's gone through 98 managers. Like they have an infrastructure. We still don't have that. Um, and I think that is also a huge part of it is we know we don't actually have the club to sustain itself. We are hoping that Conte and his friends save it. But, the, but and then here's my we point. also have like rumors today that Paratici is going to PSG, and like the fragility of this whole enterprise is just very, very exposed and very raw. Like, like, what if we actually just went out and hired a lot of people to run a footballing infrastructure, and then you can lose one or two of them? Well, I think what, and again, we're not in a club, we're not seeing how it all operates, all this other stuff. But like, what feels crazy to me is not that, you know, we might lose them. It's like they just got here, and like. If, if if Spurs are, like, that big of a mess, like, that they're going to hire Antonio Conte, who, like, just like you said, Ryan, like, Spurs need to understand what it means to hire Antonio Conte. Antonio Conte has to have at least, like, on some level, an understanding of what it's like to work at Spurs. And if he came in here, again, it's like, if it's that big of a mess, then Antonio Conte is going to be, like, six or seven weeks in the job, be like, oh shit, I need to get out of here. Like, we are not, like, it's not like West Ham or, like, some of these other clubs we've seen that are total shit shows behind the scenes and it all keeps leaking out. Like, like we don't have any indication that Spurs are that. Like, whatever else you want to say about the club, we don't have any of that. So it's like, again, it's just this sort of, like, if it had been a whole year, I might have more patience for this shit. But it's like, you have been here for, like, the January transfer window. We haven't even gotten to the summer. So you really haven't had an opportunity for Daniel Levy to let you down. So, like, why are we doing this already? I mean, I think if we want to lay out the next few years and let's be like, what is our best case? Like, what is the plan if everything goes according to plan? I think you're looking at 
this summer, Conte gets Levy delivers on all the players he wants. Then let's say you get two really good years of Conte. Hopefully we want to trope, but like you're, we are a real top four team for two years after this. Um, we continue to strengthen the squad in that time. Um, they're already building out like their sports medicine and um, all that stuff at the training ground. They're expanding that. So like that's real physical infrastructure. You build out the staffing for that. You build in-house analytics, you build out your scouting staff, you bring in at probably closer to seven or eight, like high level managers and directors, belief Paratici. And then in two and a half, three, three and a half years, content walks away because something made him mad. Cause that is how it is always going to end at some point. And that's okay. And then you hire your next manager. And then probably a year or two after that Paratici leaves because Real Madrid wants him or what, or like, I don't know, he's in an Italian jail. Like who knows how that goes, but like, then you're sitting there and saying, okay, like now we actually have an identity. We have an infrastructure physical and personnel wise. We know how we want to scout players. We know how we want to develop the Academy. We know how we want to target guys. We have all these things and you go hire another person to be your manager. You hire another technical director on hopefully not at the exact same time. And that's, I think that's I think that's Levy's plan, I, and I and Levy's tried to kind of build this infrastructure again since literally he walked in the door. He tried it with Baldini. He's tried this for coming up or for twenty years at this point. Like he knows that that's what we need. He keeps trying it and failing. Maybe this is the time he gets it right, and he's able to deliver and spend enough money to make Conte happy enough that he can build that while also winning. That's the best case scenario, and I think what we're going for. It's just really, really nerve-wracking to be like, damn, if he pisses off Conte once, it's over. If Paratici gets tempted by PSG, it's over. And Because they're the ones still driving the whole bus. But what's nerve-wracking about it is it's going well so far. That's what, like, I understand it's not going as well as it could be, but, like, our, our level of play has dramatically improved. We brought in really good players in a very difficult transfer window. Like, like in, in, so, This goes back to the thing I said before, though. How do you square it's going well so far with for the first time since Obama was president, Arsenal have a decent chance to finish ahead of us? And I like I truly think that is hanging over all of this in a very particular way. Well, especially given how they played at the beginning of the year, so that's fair. I think the thing that you know you're talking about, Ryan, is like that is the plan for now. But because it's built top down, it all hangs on these two guys right now. And yeah. you know, Levy has a track record of Every time one of the pieces at the top leaves, he throws everything out and starts rebuilding around whoever the new guy is. So, you know, when Redknapp wanted to get rid of a a sporting director and just be in charge, we said fine. When ABB wanted Baldini, we did that. When Pochettino wanted Paul Mitchell, we did that. Pochettino didn't want Paul Mitchell, we did that. And it's just like <laughs> it's been so back and forth, and it's like so like there's no feeling of stability there's no sense that these two guys are going to be you know laying the groundwork for future infrastructure because if they leave who knows what's next and like that just constant sense of precarity around that is is frustrating well and ben, and I agree with you greg like it's going well like i'm pretty happy with where we are i think those are two very good pieces to start building around and if we can keep building you know that puts us in a very good situation if it falls apart this summer i'm going to fucking melt down again ben i think i think think, hold on one sec what do you think the reaction is and how do you think it plays out though if 
the results are exactly the same. We're in the exact place that we're in right now. But let's say that instead of Arsenal being in fourth place, they're a place below us. How do you think the entire vibe... Because, like... In Ben's household or in general? (laughs) In general. Like, if, if we're sitting here saying, hey... We're probably long shots for top four still. Like, we have a chance, but it's probably not going to happen because we shit away games we shouldn't have. But we're playing well. There's a path here, as precarious as it may be. Um, But we're on track to finish ahead of Arsenal again. And United's going to get fourth place. Um, Right. How do you think? What do you think the vibe is then? Well, I think, yeah, much better because I think we all accept that City, Chelsea, Man U, and Liverpool begrudgingly are bigger than us. And if that's the top four, that's the top four. Arsenal's a team who we really spent a lot of time over the last decade reeling in and finishing above for several years now. And to fall now behind that club, who is, of course, our rival, um, and let them get top four, that's just one further club we've now fallen behind and makes the lift that much harder. And I think I think you're. Not, I think you're leaving out an just important... Just seeing Arsenal succeed is just... Not good. I think you're leaving out an important factor in the Arsenal discussion, Ben, which is we have spent a year and a half, like until I would say until January of this year, maybe December of last year, being, I think, fairly reasonably convinced that Mikel Arteta wasn't a very good coach. You know, like, I mean, he was really giving Arsenal mid table results. Like, he won an FA Cup. And other than that, he hadn't been very good. And then in December, they really sort of turned it on. Now, this could, I mean, Jose Mourinho had like four or five good months at Tottenham. So, you know, who knows how this goes long term. But I think there is a frustration that Arsenal is just like, at least since December, been really firing on all gears. And really, they've turned it on when Spurs have sputtered a little bit. Like, because when Conte came in, we were just like winning every week for a while, at least in the league. Yeah, I mean, there's a. The fear that they're putting it together while we're not is real. And, like, you know, you look over at that club and you see all the exciting young talent that they're building around. And, like, it's not just, like, they're good now. It's, like, you can panic a little bit and see how they can be good for a while because their squad is very young and their manager is, you know, now who knows how good he's going to get. He really is the next pep, you know. I think there's a lot of that anxiety and how it's, you know, coming together for them. And I think part of it, too, is – we managed to finish ahead of them for the last couple of years when we were a bad club. Like, it's not as if we were like, damn, like we were hitting on all cylinders and that's why we finished it. Like we were bad and we still finished ahead of them. So the idea that we are not bad anymore or we are trending in the right direction now, but behind them, I think is just a real mind fuck where you're just like, Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Like that's a, like if our, if we were terrible last year, Jose gets is terrible. Jose gets fired. Um, Mason is not a real manager, and we finished behind Arsenal last season. I think that that also changes the way we're looking at us this season because we're like, okay, we know we have work to do this season, and then we fired our manager at the start of it. So like everything this season feels like an uphill climb to get it back, except that like it's hard to tell tell or you know I mean tell people, but like ingest the fact that like. The arrow is pointing up, but our place relative to Arsenal is going down. I think that's kind of the the, the thing that is difficult um, to kind of 
figure out and and really does hang over the general mood of the club and and kind of obscures the actual positive improvements Conte has made, um, which would be better if he can teach him how to defend set pieces. Well, because you look at, I don't want to take the United game as an example of what I'm talking about. Like, I, right, we can I, talk I, about the games. <laughs> yeah, we could talk about the games, but I, I think I'm over. I, I am obviously overgeneralizing here, but I don't think I'm far off when they say we played pretty well. Didn't like. I don't want to say take our chances. We didn't. We weren't shooting when we should have been shooting. Let's put it that way. But I think essentially we we were on top for a lot of that game, and then we had like three moments where like Ronaldo kind of broke us down. I mean, Fred was having a good game and bossing some of the midfield. It's more complicated than that, but it's this game where like you look at you look at that United game, which was a pretty devastating loss. It was a gut punch, I think. And you compare that to some of the shit we saw under Mourinho, some of the shit we saw under Nuno. I mean, I think we were probably on balance. I think we played better than United. Like, I mean, that doesn't mean you win the games necessarily. But, you know, it's like if these are the – for me, and again, that's the frustrating thing with this, like, hostage-taking thing that Conte does with the club is, you know, I'm not looking at the results because, like, Nuno won his first three games, including a game against City. That didn't, I mean, Ben was calling it at the time. I was trying to be an optimist, but Ben was calling. Like, there were lots of causes for concern when we, we took nine points out of nine in August or whenever the hell that was. And, you know, it's not about the results. You look at, like, the level of play in these games. And with a few exceptions, it's generally, it's, it's certainly improved. And it's generally good pretty well. good. Good to well. Good to well, yeah. Um, it's certainly improved, and, you know, I think we're seeing that under Conte, and it's just, I just think, like, the United game is another example of, like, God, you have another transfer window, you give them a summer, like, this is going to come together. You can see the pieces working out. You can see Kane starting to fit the system. You can see Kulishevsky working his way in. If, like you said, Ryan, like the fullbacks are a little bit better, better whether they're better drilled or better players, you know, or if we have like a more capable midfielder to pair with Bentoncourt, like whether that's Skip or, you know, some passer that we go buy, like Kessie, or I mean, I guess Kessie's not a passer, you know, someone better that we buy in the summer. You, you can see it working. You can see the progress. And that's what I find really encouraging and I want to really buy into that and it's a little frustrating to me that I kind of can't or I have to like get be worried about buying into that yeah I mean I think also part of this too is and this I don't know how much this is front of mind or back of mind or just kind of underlying it all is we talk about the precariousness of the club in terms of management and infrastructure in long-term future but um I think even when you look at the team because and there's, I think that kind of fuels some of the urgency to be good right now is, I mean, like, I don't know when Harry Kane is going to hit the back end of his career and start tailing off. It could be next season. It could be in four seasons. I don't know when that's going to happen to Sun, but so much of this team relies on the two of them and they are at nothing else closer to the end than the start. So I think that is also another thing where like, if you're going to ride son and Harry, which we have done and should do, and they are awesome. Like 
there's only so far out you could game it and be like, well, the arrow's pointing up. You're like, no, at some point, we got to win now. <laughs> like, we got to win while we can with these guys if that's the way you're going to go. I mean, if not, then you can get into the whole, should we have sold Harry? How do you get younger? Because, like, you get a Romero. He is younger, and he's going to be great for a long time. Bentoncourt's younger. I think he's going to be great for a long time. Kulisevsky's younger. He's, I think he's going to be great for a long time. Like, they, the rest of the squad is getting younger and good in a way that is really bodes well for the future but this team is still carried in large part by two players and there's kind of that that dissonance between their their kind of age range and where their prime is versus the rest of the team and and the the production of the team and the upside of the team still lies so squarely with those two that i I think that is also a kind of a part that fuels that precarity and that anxiety is Yo, we got to win because I don't know how much longer Harry can do this. I hope it's five years, but it might not be. And it, like, it's it, it'll be nice if Conte keeps making strides and we buy two North, North fullbacks and we get that left-sided center back and we get another central midfielder. And next season, our squad looks really, really strong. But what happens if we get to that season and Harry's cooked, it, which I'm not saying is likely to happen but if it happened, no one would be like, that came out of nowhere. You're like, oh, that's a thing that might happen with a guy his age. And so, like, I think that also fuels a bit of it, too, where you're just like, how much longer can we string this along? I think that's absolutely right. And, I think, you know, the other component of that is, you know, the Champions League makes the rebuilding process a lot easier. And it's like getting to the Champions League is a meaningful accomplishment that you want these guys to achieve. And seeing them play in the Champions League is a meaningful accomplishment. It helps with recruitment. You know, we're also not necessarily going to have Kane next season. Who knows what the summer will bring with Harry and his designs on his future. So, like, we need to be playing better now because this is our third rebuilding year. And that's too many rebuilding years given the shelf life of players like Kane and Son and the difficulty in replacing them. It's all well and good to build all the pieces around them that supports this star talent, but replacing players of Kane and Son's caliber is really, really hard and really, really expensive. And the kind of buy you don't get to miss on because you can't spend 70 million pounds if you're Spurs on a striker and him not come good then you're fucked because you can't go do that again next summer. Um, You know, that eats a lot of your budget that we don't really have. And so we need to get a lot better, a lot quicker or get really, really lucky again in the same way we got lucky with Kane the first time. That's all really hard. I think, I think you like, let's say you can hopefully not unreasonably expect Harry and son to be good for two more seasons. Maybe it's four more seasons. Maybe you don't get those two, but let's say two. You probably only have Conte for two more seasons. That means if if you're not going to sell Son and you're not going to sell Harry and bring back 150 million to go fill the rest, to replace them and fill the rest of the squad with younger players, let's say we're going to go for it. Levy has to go get all of the players to make you likely to win a trophy in the next two years. There's no other excuse. There's no, well, they cost a lot or the market did this or that. Like Levy has to decide and has to be willing to commit. Even if the he doesn't like the valuations, he doesn't like this. You're going to put the club in a position where not, we think we have a chance to win a title or to win a trophy. We think we will win a trophy in the next two years. Like, and if not, he fucked it all up again. Like, and that's a really scary place to be. And I'm not saying he's not going to do that. 
I would like to think as many criticisms I have of Levy over the last three, four years, he's smart enough to know what he got or what he was getting when he hired Antonio Conte. He knew that when you hire Antonio Conte, he's going to spend a ton of money to buy the players that Conte wants. I think you buy the players that Conte wants, you're going to be in a really good position to win a trophy in the next two years. I think that is what is likely to happen. But it's really scary when all of this hangs on a guy who, bluntly, I think Levy's done a bad job for several years now, has to deliver in a major way this summer. Or it's all screwed. Early returns are good, though. Really scary place to be. The early returns are I, good. Like, yeah, like it's going to be wrong. I think he's going to do it. I'm optimistic. I believe in it, and I'm still scared about it. It's just like I said. It's it's the anxiety that's. It feels like needless anxiety. But like you said, Ryan, this is. I think if we were Italian, you know, like our good friend Vince, like we would know this is what Conte is. Like this is what Conte does. And, you know, like at Inter, there was a lot of, like, grousing over it. Because Inter, while, like, has a lot of money in the general scheme of things, they're not Chelsea. They're not, you know, they're not City. You can call them broke boys. They're broke boys. Well, I mean, I'm talking about before the pandemic. Like, they were, they would spend money. They got Lukaku. But, like, they're not, you know, Juve or, uh, or, or what have you. But, yeah, it's just very... It's just very stressful, and I, I've let that anxiety that Conte has given me infect this podcast. Because it's like, I think I'm more positive about this team than most, and I was anxious going into this game. They're more anxious than I usually am when I go into a Spurs match, because certainly I was that way going into the Saturday game against United, because it's just like, you know, it's bad enough to like just lose a match. That sucks, but like all the wailing and gnashing of teeth and like, you know, the rending of garments, especially that happens online is just so exhausting right now. And I think it gets even doubly exhausting. And like, you know, I follow the conversation around Spurs and it's, you know, a lot of times I, I feel like I'm watching a different team than everyone else. Like this is, this is a team that just from like how they're playing most weeks, like I understand there's games like Burnley I understand there's games like Southampton and um, Wolves, but generally speaking, like certainly compared to how we played the last like two and a half years before Conte got here, it's pretty acceptable, like all things considered. And it's like, you know, you would have thought that like Spurs are going out there and like stabbing a small child and taking a shit on him after they're done. Like it's very, it's a very tense fan base right now. And I think we've talked about the reasons that it is that way, but there's still this disconnect that I find very aggravating. I think the thing that you got to focus on, and I think you're trying to, is that, like you said, the early returns with the transfers have been very good. Romero, Kulisevsky, and Bentoncourt have hit the ground running extremely well um, over the last couple months. They've made a huge difference already. You know, some of our signings, like Emerson and, and Brian, maybe haven't band out to the degree that we would like, but three big hits like that who are immediate upgrades on the first 11 and, you know, not just guys who are carrying water, but like real difference makers, I think speaks well of, you know, where we're likely to head this summer. Well, we talked a lot about Diaz and how disappointed we were that we didn't get him. Like, has Diaz contributed as much to Liverpool as Kulczewski has contributed to Spurs. I mean, you know, I'm not saying that we wouldn't have been happy with Diaz, but like, I mean, well, I, I, 
I think what you said kind of hits at this though, and, and you said we're miles better than we've been the last couple of years, and I think that kind of speaks that, that kind of wraps up kind of where we've been. Where that's that's the interesting place to be is we are so much better than we've been the last few years, but also because of the nature of our manager and our two best players, um, it, it you can't be like, well, we're getting better. We'll be there. Like we'll definitely have a good three years from now, five years from now, eight years from now. We're a lot better than we were, which is great, but now we have to be good right now. And that's the really, really small window we have to hit. It's a smaller window than the window between well and good. I mean, it, like, you got to be good right now. And that's that's what that's what we got. And, and like, we're just, that's just well. <laughs> we're just well, it's, well. But, but there's this level of, there's, there's a level of, and I don't know, maybe, maybe again, I have done, I'm an Orioles fan, which is a very bad baseball team for, for our um, British listeners. I do, I've done a lot of rationalization to keep myself sane over the years. Maybe it's a product of that, but it's like, I'm going to have a much different standard for this team next year when he's had a full transfer, summer transfer window. He's had a full summer to get everybody on the same page. He's had a full summer to get everybody rested. We're not coming off an international tournament, although I know the World Cup is next winter, so that'll be kind of fuck everything up but like i'm gonna have much different standards for where this team is next year than i do right now because i think the fact that conte has this team i mean is it, do you guys have any doubt that conte would have this team in a like champions league place if he'd if he'd taken the job when he was first rumored this summer no I, but again like i i agree with you i think next year is going to be really good but like like i said let's assume we get two more years of conte after this we have two more years of sun and kane after this I, I agree. By next season, I think we're going to be really good. But just this part of it, this second half of this season, that's 20% of that window that we have. Like, that's just really scary when you're, when even if you're really convinced the next 80% is going to be good, that in six months, that's that's 20% of your window. And I think that's where that anxiety just continues to come from. It's like, you got to hit. Like, it, like, it sucks that, like, you're going to lose 20% of that window, but that's what we're doing, even though, like, reasonably, it's hard to expect a ton more from that. Yeah, and, and that's enough, but that's another thing, getting back to the point of Conte's melodramatics, like, I mean, part of the reason Conte didn't have the summer to train the team is Antonio Conte. Like, he could have come here, you know, he could have cut out, he could have saved us all a lot of heartburn, or give us a different kind of heartburn, I guess, depending on how he handled it, but, you know. Again, like he's not a passenger in this. Yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate your Scott Steiner math, Ryan, but like I can't, I can't imagine two years out, like my emotional pendulum swings <laughs> match to match. So Romero had a good game. Jesus, I love him. Like yeah. I, he is the, he is the happiest I've ever been watching a center back play football. Like. We've had good defenders before, like, and Vertonghen is probably like up there because he did crazy maniac shit and loved scoring goals too. But he wasn't as much of a maniac, and the way he's like always smiling and also shit talking people, and also got his first goal today by complete accident, and how happy everybody seemed to be, and the way he pulled Sonny onto his lap the other day, like, just everything about him is just charming and chaotic, and like. I, I don't. Wonderful. I don't like defenders. Like defenders are just failed footballers who had to find somewhere else to play, and so they get pushed to the back. I don't believe in them. They're necessary, but I don't believe in them. I don't like them. He is the exception because, like you say, he is insane and 
he runs everywhere and he does cool stuff. But also, and this is the difference between him and Jan, although everyone loves Jan, I get it. Jan was never violent the way that Romero is violent. And the violence is important. Like, I love the violence this man brings at all times. He is the first central defender that Spurs have had that I have well and truly loved. I did the Ledley years. I did the Jan and the Toby years. I've gone through so many center backs. And you know what? I appreciated their contributions to making us win stuff. They seemed like lovely men. But I've never loved the center back, and it's been like five months, and I love I think, this man so much. I think so you're really much. downplaying Bertongan's penchant for violence. He, like, gouged a guy's eye. He no, 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 uh, he no. Makes, no. Romero, I, makes, I, Romero makes Jan look like a little baby. He makes he makes Eric Lamella look like a teenager who doesn't know what he's doing. I mean, like, he is Jan, violent. He is incredibly Jan act, violent. Jan acted out in violence. Like, Romero is violent. There's a big difference. Like, totally. Romero, I mean, I don't know. Romero's just a constant stream of violence, and the only time his violence stops is when he's like, you know me, the center back. What if I ran sixty yards with the ball? Like, he's perfect. I love him so much. He's had like, especially the last few match. I mean, the the Rickarlson stuff against Everton was incredible because, like, I, I I love it when beef transcends. Like, it's like, oh, we hate each other on our national teams. Let's now we're gonna play each other in club football, and I'm gonna try and kill you. But like, that that reducer he put on who was it? Was it McAllister today? Where he just like the one he got yellow carded for? Where he just I mean, just tried to break his shin, and it was like, I, I, I'm struggling to think of the last, like, center back who was this violent but could also play the ball. Like, like it's he's not just, like, some thug on Burnley or, you know, Lee, I, I guess Lee's historically, not Lee's now, but, you know, he's not just, like, some thug on a team that lumps it forward and, like, tries to head it in the box. Like, he is very violent for a guy who's very good at football. <laughs> He transcends his position. Yeah, he transcends the guy's, like, shin because he tries to put his fucking <laughs> leg through it. Like, Yeah, I mean, I don't, it's not a perfect comparison, but, like, Sergio Ramos is a similar kind of guy who's, like, obviously a very talented footballer and, like, a complete shithead, but... Sergio's not trying to break Romero, his arms. Like, I mean... Romero doesn't seem like a bad guy. Like, Sergio ah. Ramos seems like a fucking shithead. No, Romero no, Romero, seems like a lovely man. Romero seems like a pretty bad him. guy. Romero seems like a pretty bad guy, man. <laughs> How dare you? Don't speak to my son that way. <laughs> I mean, he just got that dog in him. <laughs> I mean, he does. He does have that dog in him. <laughs> wow, what a perfect human. The best signing we've made in. Could you imagine if he and Lamelo were on the same team? Like, just like would they be so- doing like? tag team wrestling finishes and like the back line like you take a blow i'll take him high something like that it's just no Jeez. no no because because it's, it's not it's not a strategy with romero it's just a way of being no i think it's absolutely a strategy with Romero. i think it's incredibly calculated with him like oh it's a it's a way of being god i'm, I'm honestly not I'm... feeling violence was like a a mantra for eric lamella I just like he he lived to kill people. He, he would like Eric Lamella got like sh- I mean uh, like occasionally he would see red and like go after guys, but like really Lamella was trying to get shitty little digs in. Like Romero is like winding up and trying to kill dudes, which is great and I love it. I'm just saying like it is like a different. We are seeing like a different level of violence. Someone I, I don't know who it was on Twitter, but like 
someone was making a joke about how like the rest of the Premier League is completely unprepared for how much they're going to hate this guy in like two years. And I think that is entirely right. Like he's going to like, but it's going to be because like Liverpool fans are going to like swear a blood oath against him, but it's not going to be because he like tries to crack open like Van Dyke's skull, which he will try to do at some point. It'll be because he like accidentally steps on like a little bit of like Arnold's toe or something. So that'll be the fun thing when Liverpool grows to hate him. But like, yeah, the league's going to really, really dislike Romero in like very short amount of time. We just really need a backup center back because I feel like he's going to miss a lot of games for us. He's already like picking up a yellow card in every single match. Like I feel like he's going to accumulate 15 yellow cards in like the first half of the season. Do we think Sanchez he's is well rested? Do we think he's going to get a clear red by the end of the season where he's like sent a player to the hospital? And he goes to the ref and is like, what did I do? I don't understand. As he's like picking bits of his scalp off the guy's like, off his own cleats or something. Because I think that's going to happen before the year's over. Well, they got a derby coming up. <laughs> I mean, it, it is it is worth keeping in mind that like, this guy has been a professional since 2017, I think. He has one red card. Well, like, Lamella had one red card his entire time here. Like, yeah, like I, I, I'm with Ben that I, I, I he, accumulation will be a thing. <laughs> but like this man doesn't get sent off somehow. He's like he does not. I don't know. Like we play Everton again. Like I mean, those were some hard fouls on Carlson. If I mean, if that guy gets a reputation in the Premier League, like, well, I, I want to see him put a hurt on Zuma this weekend. I hope I hope Romero's an animal lover. Cat, cat guy Ben wants the wants revenge for the kitties. I will I will yeah I will buy a Romero jersey to, on Sunday if if he takes out Zuma. I mean that 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 runs into the issue that I had is the other day I was like damn I should buy a new Tottenham jersey haven't bought one in a couple of years and of the players on the team who I truly love like Son obviously but I have multiples of him and like who. Who else am I buying a jersey of at this point? Not a lot of options, but I really love Romero. And will it, like in my entire life, I've never bought the jersey of a defender in my life. Not once. I never thought I ever would. I love this man so much. I just might have to do it. I have a Gareth Bale three jersey. I think he was still a left back technically. No, he wasn't. <laughs> Harry Redknapp still thinks Gareth Bale is just gonna needs to be a left back. Yeah. I would have bought an Asukoto jersey. He was a, he was a fun defender. I had Naso Okoto jersey once upon a time. One of those Under Armour like ones with like the dotted cockerel on the back. Man, Under Armour really should have gotten a lot weirder with our jerseys than they did. That's a little disappointing in retrospect. That's what happens when you trust anything to some Marylanders. But yeah, I mean, defenders are just boring, and he's not. And that is that's what you want. He he is delightful. He is very. I think that's the thing that gets overlooked, like you said earlier, Ben. Like, we have made three excellent signings since Paratici got here. Whatever you think about the other guys, like, if Heel's a good bet for the future, if Emerson was a good fit for, you know, a more traditional defending coach, whatever. But, like, we have made whatever whatever else you think about those other signings, like, three excellent signings that have done a lot to improve the teams. And, you know, hopefully we build on that this summer. And they're all young, too. They're all very young. Well, Bentecourt is a little, I mean... He's not football young, but he's yeah. He, I mean, he, but he, he's the oldest at twenty four. Like, 
like like we Pretty said, good. the future the the future looks good if you can make the whole Harry Sun thing work. But like we're doing a really good job of supplementing them with really good young players. Just get some good wingbacks in here. Get get like one the, other good center. Finish back. the job this summer. Yeah. Ugh. Well, here's hoping. Uh, on that note, I think it's time to wrap it up. Uh, Ryan, where, where can people find you on the internet? Don't. Okay. Ben, where can people find you on the internet? Man, I really wanted to ask him if that was Ryan with a Y, and uh, <laughs> you just took that from me. <laughs> uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at Comrade Spurs. You can find me on Twitter at Ryan Rosenblatt. Send me your thoughts on WrestleMania. <laughs> um, don't forget to follow our Twitter account, WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. Uh, For Ben, for Ryan, for Brian with a Y, and of course for Brett Rainbow, I've been your host Greg. Come on, you Spurs.